God, family, country. Have you heard these? That phrase, you've heard that phrase before? How many have heard that phrase? God, family, country. Okay. Unrelated question. How many of you listen to country music? Same hands. You know, same hands. When <laughs> I'm just kidding. God, family, country. You might have seen it on a t-shirt. Have you ever seen that on a t-shirt? God, family, country. What's it mean? I've seen it before. I've heard people quote that before. I suppose it means that a person has three above all else values in their life, and that's how they order their values, that God is first, and then their family, and then the country. And I've heard it uh, expressed as the, the typical American value or the American ideal of, of our value system. I've heard it described that way. I've also heard it described in such a way as it, it's almost like an identity statement, especially if you see it maybe on a T-shirt. This is who I am. You want to know who I am? I'm a person who values God family, country. I've seen it described that way also. I wonder if that's true, though, of Americans. We say, I've heard it said, this is an American value system. God first, family second, and, and then country. According to Barna, who has done research on this, they did a, a research study in 2015. I was looking to see if they had anything updated uh, since then. I didn't, I didn't find anything, so it's probably a little out of date. I don't know that the study has aged well. I don't imagine, based on what we've, we've seen in our country the last few years, that, that that study's aged well. But here's what they found. They found that, first of all, that's not true uh, when it comes to how Americans think and their value system. Uh, I have... Uh, a chart here, what they found. Number one, number one is family. It's not bad, but it's, uh, it's, not, it's not God first. It's, it's family first. To the tune of 62% of Americans would say their highest value, their top above all else value is family. And under that, or even as uh, they would identify themselves, what, how do you see yourself? What, what, what do you tie your identity to? Uh, under that then would be, I'm an American. I'm an American, 52%. A little over half of Americans would identify themselves that way. Do you see the, the faith? It dips pretty sharply, doesn't it? We're almost at a third. Uh, so faith is definitely not number one when it comes to most Americans. It's about almost a third, 38%. That's, that's quite a drop. There's also a chart. They did this generationally. And those numbers are even less encouraging, I, I would describe them as maybe even more dramatic, the, those that they've defined as elders. So you have boomers and then those who are older than the boomers. They call them elders. Uh, they would be in the 46% of that 38, right? 46% of them would be in that group. Then boomers, 45. Gen X, 34. This is not encouraging. Uh, the, the millennials, 28. Millennials, and, and that's just across the board, across the board, their identity, their values when it comes to these types of things. Uh, you can see how the chart goes down and down. So that's where America is at. How about you? Let's, uh, let's get off of America at large. Let's talk about you. Uh, in your notes, if you got notes when you came in, the paper notes, I have uh, three lines there. Your values. Your top three values are on the left. Uh, what you would use to 
connect your identity to is there on the right. Go ahead and fill that in. If, if you're using the digital notes, uh, I have them on there as well. You can fill in the gap in your digital notes. Uh, just a quick plug as you're filling that in, those three, your above all else values. These are my top three values. These are the things that I most would use to uh, attach my identity to. As you're doing that, just a quick plug after the service today, uh, we do have a uh, technology training for a little bit over here in Grace Hollow. If you're like, digital notes, what's that? Or how do I use the Church Center app? Or the, the, how do I get things on the website? If you need any help with any of those things, we're going to do a, some training in Grace Hollow right after the service. And if you're like, you know what? I like my piece of paper. I'm fine with that. That's fine too. Just wanted you to know that'll be available. So hopefully you filled that in. Hopefully you filled in your top three above all else values. Your, uh, you would rank the things that matter most to you when it comes to your personal identity. We're studying through the Gospel of John, and every week we are searching for the answer to this question, who is Jesus? And today we're going to finish up chapter 3. You can have your Bible ready to go in John chapter 3. Here's what you're going to find out. As we finish up this chapter, the answer to this question, who is Jesus, is going to stand out like a neon sign in the dark desert. It's, you're not going to miss it. It's super easy to see. You can't miss it. We're going to find out today. It's the title of today's message. Jesus is above all. Jesus is above all. What's that mean, though? Well, if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus should be at the top of that values list that you, that you wrote, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, the top line on both of those three lines should be Jesus. But what's that mean? I mean, that, that's where he should be. And, you know, we're in church. So you're probably not surprised that I would say that that's where Jesus should, should fall, top line above all else in your values. But what's it, what does that mean? What does it look like to live that, that way? To live like that's what you really believe. We're going to talk about that. We're going, to, we're going to flesh that out a little bit together this morning. If you are not yet a follower of Christ, I just want you to know uh, that as we work through the text today, there's a statement here about life after death that's really, really important that I don't want you to miss. So I want you to hang in there with me this morning. Uh, when we get to that uh, portion of the text, it's going to be really, really important if you haven't yet trusted Jesus as your Savior, there's something really important there. Here we go. John chapter 3. You got it? John 3, or starting in verse 22. Starting in verse 22. When Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem, and they went into the Judean countryside, and Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. At this time, same time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there. And people kept coming to him for baptism. Verse 24, this was before John was thrown in prison. So there's a time stamp here. If we were to compare the Gospels and where this would fall into place, uh, it's not so much important. The time stamp is not as important to, to what we're looking at this morning. But that's why that's there. Verse, uh, verse we'll stop there. Verse 25 we'll get to in just a moment. So 
here's where we're at. Jesus and his disciples went out, it says, into the Judean countryside. He spent time with them, do a little team building with them, and they baptized. Now, if you look at ver- uh, chapter 4, the early part of chapter 4, we're going to find out that Jesus wasn't actually performing the baptisms. His disciples were performing the baptisms. But here's, here's what we find out in, in these verses. Jesus and John were in different locations, but they're doing the same thing. They're preaching the same message of repentance. They're baptizing people with the same baptism of repentance and spiritual preparation for the coming of Messiah. They're doing the same thing. That's important that you understand. They're in different places, but they're doing the same thing. Now, the scene, when we get to verse 25, the scene shifts from Jesus and his disciples back to John the Baptist and his disciples. And what we're going to walk into uh, is an argument. We're going to walk in to a, a heated debate, and it's going to feel a little awkward. You ever do that? You ever walk into a room, and there's already like this heated debate, this argument going on that you know nothing about, and you walk in the middle of it, and you're like, ooh, awkward, right? And you're like, I'm, I don't want any part of that. I'm going to walk away. Well, John, the, the apostle John, the writer of this gospel, uh, he, he pushes us right in to this argument, to this heated debate. Here we go. Verse 25. A debate, an argument broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over what? Over ceremonial cleansing. So this is the same debate that we looked at, the same argument from chapter 1. The, the, the Jewish uh, people, the, the Pharisees specifically, uh, they understood baptism when it came to converting Gentiles to Judaism. They were used to that. That was normal. That would not have been uh, out of the ordinary. They were also, Jews were used to ceremonial washings for, for purity in life, for purity in, in worship. They were used to that. John's doing something different. And uh, this immersion, this baptism of immersion for repentance of Jews, now that's, that was different. That wasn't something they were used to. They didn't have a category. They didn't have a box to put that in. And uh, we saw back in chapter 1, some of the Pharisees were questioning this. Not only why are you doing this, who gave you the authority to do this? Who do you think you are? Remember that whole, that whole tension. And so apparently there's a a particular uh, Jew that shows up and he starts this argument, starts this debate. But then that leads into that debate, that tension leads into another conversation. And it feels like uh, from 25 to 26 that it's almost like later on uh, when John is just with his disciples, the, the conversation continued with this question. Verse 26. John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? They they don't even reference him by name. You know that guy from the other side of the river, the one that you said is the Messiah? Yeah, he's also baptizing people. And here's the key. Here's the tension point. And everyone, everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. And apparently that's bothering them. 
And the, the tone here in their statement, in their observation, is one of a complaint. It, it, it feels like jealousy when we read it. It's almost as if they're saying, you know that guy <laughs> from the other side of the river, the one you said is Messiah. Yeah, he, he's stealing our thunder, John. He's becoming more popular than we are. We are losing popularity. We are losing influence, and we don't like it. What are you going to do about it, John? That's the tone of verse 26. So John responds. John responds in verse 27. Here's what he said. First, he starts off with, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. The best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. He, Jesus, is above all else. He's above all. We are of the earth, and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. Jesus is above all. Verse 32, he testifies about what he has seen and heard. Where? In heaven. He was with the Father. He has first source information. He testifies about what he's seen and heard. But how few believe what he tells them. And I think that's a reference to these guys that uh, are asking the question. I think he's pushing back on them directly there. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for he gives him, Jesus, the Spirit without limit. The Father loves his Son and has put everything into his hands. Here's the key uh, when it comes to salvation that we talked about. If you're, if you're still yet haven't taken that step of faith in Christ, listen carefully. Anyone who believes in God's Son... And we'll talk about what that means to believe in God's Son, to believe in Jesus, has eternal life. But anyone who does not, who rejects Jesus, who does not obey the Son, will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. That's, that's a pretty important statement. So we go back and, and we start with this. John looks at these guys and they're complaining uh, Jesus is, everyone's going to him. He's doing the same thing we are. He's becoming more popular, more influential, and we're becoming less so. We don't like it. And John reminds them, guys, I'm not the Messiah. I told you this. I've been very clear. I've been very upfront about this. I'm not the Christ. Jesus is. And then I love this description, this way of describing his role in relation to Jesus. He says, I I'm kind of like the best man at the wedding, I'm not the main attraction. I'm not the headliner. M my role is to help the groom on his wedding day. It's not my desire to upstage the groom on his wedding day. Can you imagine? I don't know. This would be super weird, but can you imagine going to a wedding? You're sitting there, and, and you're at the wedding, and, and uh, the, the guys, the, the groom and, and all the groomsmen, they all have the you know, black tuxes on. They look really sharp, except for the best man who shows up in a powder blue 
uh, tux with a top hat, maybe a feather coming out, or so, just something audacious, completely stands out. And then just imagine as the ceremony is going on, you have the groom here, and for whatever reason, the best man just kept you know, trying to get in front of the groom. It would be super awkward and weird, maybe a little funny, but it would be really out of place. And John says, I'm the best man. It's not my role to be, to be at center stage. That's Jesus. He says uh, later on, uh, Jesus has to become greater. I, I must become less. Why? Because Jesus is the main event. Jesus is the MVP, not me. And he gives reasons why this is. Why, why is John the warm-up act to Jesus the headliner, he starts off by just saying he, he's, he's not just a prophet. He's not just a messenger of God. Jesus came from heaven. He's first source material of God's word. Jesus is above all. He is superior to all. And then John applies that theological truth about Jesus to this very important uh, issue of life after death. And here again, if you, if you have not yet taken that step of faith in Christ, listen carefully. John's making the case that if you believe that Jesus is above all, that he is the Christ, that he is God, come to earth as a sacrificial payment for sin, our only hope of being made right with God, if you believe in the resurrection power of Jesus, that's what it means to believe in Jesus, as your only hope of he uses this phrase, John the Apostle John uses it a lot, eternal life. You put all your hope and trust in Jesus who is above all. He says you will have eternal life. But then he says, but if you reject that, if you reject Jesus, if you don't believe that about him, the wrath of God, the condemnation of God, the judgment of God will remain on you. It's already there. It's already there, and it will remain on you. It's pretty serious. And so when we read this, we are still faced with the same question about Jesus that the first century disciples of John the Baptist had to answer. John puts it right in their face. And the question is, do you believe that Jesus is above all your only hope of eternal life? Have you settled this matter of eternity with your soul and in your soul? Have you taken this step of faith in Christ alone? And so that question still remains. It's still right here in front of our face today. And if you haven't yet taken that step, well, my prayer, my hope is that you will do that today. In fact, I would say this. We're going to talk about some important things the rest of our time together, but there's nothing more important than that. So you not only have my permission, you, you have my encouragement. If, that's, if you're ready to take that step, uh, gracefellowship.online. Go ahead, grab your phone, gracefellowship.online. There's a button on the front page that says, I'm ready. Now, clicking the button is not going to make you right with God, okay? Clicking the button uh, is just going to take you to some information about what it means to repent of sin, what it means to put your faith in Christ, what did he actually do for us on the cross. All of those things will be explained there. There's a sample prayer uh, that you can use to, to repent of sin and, and ask Jesus to come into your life and, and transform you. All that stuff is there. And of course, afterwards, we'd love as, as a staff to pray with you or talk with you about that as well.
But if your answer to that question, and I know for most of us, the answer to that question is yes. I believe that Jesus is above all. That's great. Praise God. But what are we supposed to do with that theological truth after we have put our faith and trust in Christ as our Lord and as our Savior? Jesus is not just above all else as our means of salvation. For the follower of Jesus, he is supposed to be above all else. He's supposed to be that top line of our value system, of our identity in our everyday lives. Okay, what does that look like? It is not, it is not enough to just wear a t-shirt that says, God, family, country. And then go out and live a life that actually says pleasure, money, power. Like that's how, how I live my life, even though my t-shirt says something different. I just say this quite bluntly. It's easy to sit here in church and write Jesus on the top line. That didn't cost you anything, right, to write Jesus on there. That's like, well, we're in church, so I guess that's the right answer. Write that down. It's the right answer, yes, but how do, we actually, how do we actually live that? What does that look like? We need to know how to put Jesus above all else, not just on a piece of paper, but how do we live that value? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put the how part into the form of two, I think, easy-to-remember questions, very practical. You should be able to remember these two questions and then you'll have them, and you can do, periodically, you can do a heart check. How am I doing on these things? I, I know Jesus should be top line. I know Jesus is a follower of his. I should, he should be top line in my values, top line in my identity. I know it, but how do I check myself? So these are two easy questions, easy to remember. Hopefully, uh, they will be super helpful moving on even after today. But periodically, you can just check yourself. Here's the first one. Ready? First one is, who do you follow? Who do you follow? We go back to the text and we see that John makes it very clear to his disciples that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is God in the flesh, he's our only hope of eternal life, and he, and he makes this point in the context of their concern that more people were following Jesus and less people were following John. John was saying, as they're saying, look, there's more people uh, we're, we're losing influence, and, and he's becoming more popular. And John's response basically is, yeah, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be, guys. That, that's what you should be doing, too. That's the, that's the tone of the way that he responds to them. And as we apply that response to our lives today, I just want to start with this. This, uh, this complaint, this idea uh, that, that gets raised by the, John's disciples of popularity and more people going to see Jesus or whatever. Let's just start with the tension that exists between churches that have large gatherings and churches that have smaller gatherings. And the question ultimately, oftentimes, uh, gets asked, why is that? Why, why do some churches have large gatherings uh, larger than other churches? And the answer is not one thing, not any one particular thing. There's lots of reasons why that happens. But I love the way that John immediately responds to their complaint, their concern. 
He says, go back to the text, he says, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. It's a good reminder that God has, in fact, gifted some people with a higher level of skill. God has gifted some people with a, with a greater level of vision or creativity or talent or leadership than others. It's just a reality, and God has every right to do that. God has chosen to, to bless some churches with, with greater growth than others, and he has every right to do that. We just have to remember that the size of the gathering is not as important as who they are gathering around. That's what matters. Who are we following? Our standard for excellence here at Grace Fellowship, we have a standard in our, in our ministry. I'm not saying we always hit it 100%, but we, have, we strive towards, in our ministry, a standard of excellence that exceeds expectation. That's what we strive for. Excellence that exceeds expectation. Now, if that standard of excellence translates into, let's say, more people, they feel welcome because our host ministry has a standard of excellence that exceeds expectation, so people feel welcome. If that's the result, well, praise God. If people come to Grace Fellowship and they feel safe because of our excellence in, in our safety team or they, they feel like their soul is, is being filled by excellence in worship and in preaching, praise God. There is nothing wrong with giving God our best. We deserve, or He deserves our best. But what we have to caution against is losing sight of who we are gathered here to worship. Jesus is above all. It's not supposed to be about who is the best celebrity preacher. It's not supposed to be about which worship band is more talented. If those are the directions that your mind and heart are going down, you need to turn around and come back to this core truth that Jesus is above all. He's the one we need to follow. Now, I think we can take that principle and we can now extend that uh, beyond these walls in this way. Ask the same question, who do you follow? Does a certain political party, a certain politician, a certain celebrity guide the way you see the world, the way you make decisions? Or is Jesus above all? Here's what I would describe the, the way this should look. It should look as if Jesus is the filter by which we see politicians, celebrities, the things that they say. Jesus is the filter by which we see the world. That's the way that everything should flow through Jesus, not the other way around. It doesn't matter to me what a celebrity thinks about Jesus. Right? It, it, we, I, I go to Jesus first, and, and everything gets filtered through him. What does, what does Jesus uh, teach on this? What are his desires? And we can do a heart check on that. That's something we can check every so often. 
just to make sure that, that things are flowing in the right direction, that Jesus is truly top line, that he is above all else. Oh, did you hear what this person said? Okay, how does that match up with, with the word of God? Let's, let's filter it through that. Do you see how that's supposed to flow? Not the other way around. So who do you follow? We can start with that. Easy to remember, easy quick heart check we can do from time to time. Who do you follow? Here's the second one. Where do you root your identity? Where do you root your identity? John's disciples seem to have their identity rooted in John the Baptist. What's, what do they say? There more people are following Jesus than are following you, John. And if Jesus becomes more popular than John, what's that mean for me? It means we become less popular. We become less relevant. We become less important, and we don't like that. They were having a bit of a, an identity crisis. And so John pushes back and reminds them that they need to have their identity rooted in Jesus. Jesus is above all. He's the headliner. John's like, I'm the warm-up act, guys. I'm not the main event. He is. Jesus must become greater. I must become less. Now, when I hear that, John's humility, definitely, I, it's, I can hear his tone of humility in that statement. But I also hear a, a statement of identity where John's saying, my identity is not rooted in being famous. My identity is rooted in Jesus, the Messiah. And we can translate that uh, into our own lives today that our identity should not be rooted in social media or being the most popular at school or having the most influence in the community or, or connected to our jobs. You could fill in the list with whatever. That shouldn't be where our identity is rooted. As a follower of Christ, our identity needs to be rooted in a relationship with, with Jesus. So how do we heart check that? I would say we heart check it with just a, a question of well, who, who am I? Every once in a while, who, who am I? That's an identity statement, right? It's an identity question. Who am I? Well, I'm a follower of Jesus first. If that can be the answer to that question, we're going uh, we're, we're gonna to stay rooted. Our identity will stay rooted in Christ. In my role as a pastor, this, this is just mine, okay? You can do yours. My role as a pastor, I am first and foremost follower of Jesus. And my role as a husband, I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus. My role as a dad, first and foremost a follower of Jesus. Role as a coach, as a national ministry leader, a friend, as a man. I'm first and foremost a follower of Jesus. That should be my answer. But I want you to think about what that means in real life. If our identity is rooted in our, truly rooted in our relationship with Jesus, not just something spiritual we say, not just something we write on a piece of paper at church, then we are not going to be asking the same questions as someone who, who has their identity rooted in their job. Their identity is rooted in their appearance. Their identity is rooted in their wealth. Or it's rooted in their affluence or their popularity or their education or their abilities, their talents. 
We're going to be asking different questions than the questions that they're asking. If our identity is truly rooted in our relationship with Christ, here's the, here's the questions we're asking. What kind of husband does Jesus want me to be? And if you're a, a, a lady who's married, what kind of wife does Jesus want you to be? What kind of parent does Jesus want me to be? What, what desires does Jesus want me to pursue? What desires does Jesus want me to avoid? How do I prioritize my time, my money, in a way that's going to honor Jesus? Do you, do you hear how everything is filtering through what it means to have my identity connected to my relationship with Christ? It all filters through him. What kind of employee, what kind of employer does Jesus want me to be? How, how does Jesus want me to conduct myself at my job, in the community, at school, on my team? What kind of athlete does Jesus really want me to be? And so forth. Those are the kind of questions that ultimately answer this identity question, who am I? Okay, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm just trying my best to live a Jesus-centered life. I'm just trying my best to become more like Jesus in every aspect of my life. Zach Williams wrote a song called Less Like Me. Maybe you're familiar with it. I could not get it out of my head as I was studying for this, for this message. It just kept playing on a loop. I just love the, the honesty of the lyrics of that song. Something I can relate to. He says in the song, one of the verses, I have days I lose the fight. I try my best, but I don't get it right. Can you relate to that? I can relate to that. Like I, I didn't get it right today. I didn't get it right in that moment. I talk the talk. I don't walk the walk. I miss the moments right before my eyes. I can relate to that. There's, there's opportunities that are right in front of me, and I miss them. Maybe I'm being selfish or prideful or whatever, and I missed it. Somebody with a hurt I could have helped. Somebody with a hand I could have held. I can't get past myself. And then he, he, the, the chorus is like a prayer. He says, Lord, help me be a little more like mercy, a little more like grace, a little more like kindness, goodness, love, and faith, a little more like patience, a little more like peace, a little more like Jesus, a little less like me. Yeah, that's what I need. That's what I want. And he comes back to the gospel in the second verse. Listen to this. There's no denying I've changed. I've been saved from whom I used to be. Praise God. But even at my best, can we just be honest? Even at my best, I must confess, I still need help to see the way you see. Because I don't see it naturally. In my flesh, I don't see the world the way Jesus sees it. I need him to help me. I want to feed the beggar on the street, love to be your hands and feet, freely give what I receive. I want to put, listen, I want to put you first above all else. That's why a song just stuck in my brain all week. Love my neighbor as myself in the moment no one sees. Oh, Lord, help me be a little more like mercy, a little more like grace, a little more like kindness, 
goodness, love, and faith. A little more like patience, a little more like peace, a little more like Jesus, a little less like me. And when I honestly look at my, my life as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, as a friend, as just a man, putting Jesus above all else is, is so much more than just writing it on a piece of paper on the top line. It's that. It's, it's looking at my, my values, looking at where my identity comes from, and just being honest that I need to be more like Jesus, and I need to be less like me without Jesus. Is that true of you? The, the, well, can, can we honestly, collectively say together, if we're going to do this, then we need to be more like Jesus and a lot less like us without Jesus. And so we come back to the question, who is Jesus? The answer is pretty obvious in the text. Jesus is above all. And so I guess I'll leave you with that reflective question. Is that true of you? Is that true of your life? And as you heart check that, you could ask questions. Is Jesus who you follow above all else? You can heart check that by saying, is Jesus who you have rooted your identity in above all else? About every, uh, in comparison to everything else about who you are, Jesus is first. So I might encourage my, my challenge, take some time to look at that list, the above all else list this week, and, and ask this question, what would I have to do? What would I have to do this week to not just write down Jesus' name on this top line, but to actually know for sure that I'm living that? in my values, in my identity? What would I have to do uh, to, to make sure that that's true of me? And how do I, how do I keep Jesus there? You know, we hear, we hear a sermon. Maybe you're challenged. Maybe you're going to leave here today. and Okay, I'm going to work on that this week. How, how, like a month from now, when you've completely forgotten everything we've talked about today, how, how are you going to keep Jesus top line? How are you going to keep Jesus? What's your plan? What's your strategy for that? And think through it. Talk about it. Maybe over lunch, that could be something instead of uh, whatever else uh, the conversation might be about. Maybe that would be a good conversation to have. Help each other. Or 